0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gionta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs ready.
1: The baseball reference t-shirt Just repping some stats you know what i'm saying it's not necessarily hall of fame it's not necessarily above average but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore
0: and welcome to Above replacement radio we're talking baseball kind of whenever i'm your host christian over there on the other side of the screen is daniel curran how you doing daniel chris i am doing very well today
1: uh we're back to like a legitimate two episodes a week which feels very good um but we do have a lot to talk about even though it's just been like three days since our last recording
0: yeah usually yeah usually every three days sometimes it's hard to scratch and claw for topics but uh the baseball gods gave us a lot of different things to talk about and uh none of them good yeah none of them good (laughs) none of them good no yeah it's it's all it's all bad stuff uh but yeah we we do have some material for for this episode, and the biggest news came on uh, Wednesday night, I believe, or Thursday, yeah, Wednesday or Thursday night, and uh, Perry Manassian, uh, Angels GM, announced that Shohei Otani could not pitch for the rest of the year and the- that he had a tear in his UCL. Also, Mike Trout uh, is was going back on the IL, which uh, is unfortunate for the Angels, obviously, but more unfortunate for the angels and also Shohei Otani is he has a tear in his UCL and is pitching is no longer pitching for an indefinite amount of time. Uh, hopefully, you know, hoping for the best, but really unfortunate.
1: Yeah. UCL tear is probably the worst news that you can possibly get as a pitcher. Um, you know, that's usually the one that indicates Tommy John surgery. It doesn't always do that. Uh, but you know, Tommy John surgery is quite literally a UCL replacement surgery. So uh, any knowledge that that is the problem is very concerning to say the least. Um, And that's obviously what we're experiencing here with Shohei Otani. Um, He previously got Tommy John surgery in 2019 and he still hit that year. Um, So, you know, it is promising that he can keep going to a degree, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just the worst news um the worst part about it you know there are a lot of worst parts about it
0: what the hell yeah yeah there's 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 nothing good out of this and and yeah it it really did it really did surprise me that there was such an issue because you know he got tommy john surgery not very long ago and Mm -hmm. yeah usually when when we're talking about when we're talking about like second tommy john surgery of their career not that it's been announced that Otani's getting one, but there's a possibility of it happening. But usually when you hear about second Tommy John surgery, it's like a maybe a decade apart or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not the case here, unfortunately. Like if if he if it does end up that he has to get it, uh, that's, you know, four years in between, which is unfortunate. But I don't I like I think part of the narrative here, and it's easy to point out is like, you know, hey, you know, maybe this two-way thing is unsustainable. However, I think this might have just happened if he was never hitting at all I think this could po- could have possibly happened if he was just a pitcher because of how hard he throws and like and like yeah pit. you know it's it's dangerous to throw baseballs in general and and especially when you're averaging like 96 97 on your fastball but uh but yeah I mean this I feel like this could have happened without him hitting but I'm sure him hitting didn't necessarily help
1: yeah, I mean, Tommy John surgery and also just long-term elbow injuries and arm injuries are becoming kind of an epidemic in baseball now, I think, more than it ever has been in, in its history. Um, you know, I mean, it feels like every couple of weeks, like a couple times a month, we're getting reports about a pitcher needing Tommy John surgery. Um, that was not the case beforehand. It was usually just like a select few guys a year, um, but Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of guys, even just like this year alone, like half the race starting rotation is getting Tommy John surgery. Dustin May is getting it again. Shohei might be getting it again. Like there's just an endless Andrew Painter got it earlier this year. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's every, it feels like all the time we're getting that kind of news and it's the worst, but uh, you know, I think the biggest thing that people are talking about that's stemming from this is Shohei Otani's free agency. Obviously we've been talking about it for like two years now and uh, You know, we've been talking about the hypothetical. What does your offer look like for Shohei Otani for, you know, a, a great pitcher and a great hitter for X amount of years? And this injury is probably going to cost him upwards of 100, maybe 200 million dollars in total dollar value.
0: Uh, Yeah, I, I have to I have to agree with that. And it might also cost him might also cost him some years, too, because, you know, w- when you take the pitching out of it, He's still amazing, but he's also you know a DH. Uh, maybe he would. I mean, I don't think he'd mm-hmm. be thrown out in the outfield at all. Uh, hypothetically, if he if he can't pitch, maybe further down the line, if he doesn't want to pitch at all, maybe he would be you know an outfielder. But you know he he's a DH right now, and even if you're the best hitter, uh, your value is sort of capped a little bit when you're when you're a DH. Like you're not going to get forty million dollars a year like Aaron Judge. It's, you know, I, I know Jordan Alvarez hasn't hasn't hit the open market because he got an extension early and early in his career, but it would look like that if, if Jordan Alvarez were to hit the open market right now, he'd get, you know, maybe 30 million a year like that. And that would be a great deal for him. Uh, so, you know, but also with this, we're expecting Otani to pitch at some point again in his career. We don't know if it's next year. We don't know if it's two years from now but we expect that to happen. So there is that value. However, you know, half that value is taken away if he can't, you know, for at least one year, if he can't pitch for that one year.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, you know, I think, you know, we've been talking about like $500 million contracts, even $600 million contracts. And I think all that is pretty much off the table now. Um, you know, he'll still get a very lucrative contract. I'm I'm sure he'll get at the very least, $300 million in total dollar value, maybe $400 million, But uh, there's no doubt that, you know, this arm injury cost him a lot of money. And the most concerning thing about it, I don't know if you saw this, Chris, but on Twitter, there were reports that Perry Manassi and the Angels GM said that uh, the Angels did not check Otani's arm or do like, a, you know, like a MRI or anything on him at all, at all this year. And there have been several instances where he's been taking, taken out of games early for very brief moments. Uh, like he's had several like very brief day-to-day like injuries during the year. Uh, and they usually come on his start days more than anything else. So I'm very surprised the Angels did not look into this sooner, especially with what they were dealing with, even just in trade value a month ago, right? Um, yeah. So I think that's a huge uh mistake by the angels there. Uh, you know, having the knowledge that this was going to happen, like they could have approached this a lot differently. And now we're obviously looking at a situation where they've lost Otani as a pitcher. They've also lost Trout as a hitter because he went back on the IL. They're 10 and a half games out of a playoff spot. Uh it's over. Like effectively it's over. And if they had known that, you know, I feel like they would have had a much different approach to the trade deadline. Uh, yes, they wouldn't have gotten as much value for Shohei Ohtani if they were that concerned as a pitcher. They can't just withhold that information. Uh, but you know they would have gotten, they still would have gotten a haul of top one hundred prospects for him, regardless.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm curious what the protocol is just generally for teams looking at pitchers' arms. Um, and yeah, I mean, you you would think there would be extra caution with a player like Ohtani with who has you know you know last year he had over 1300 different batter pitcher interactions between him being a pitcher and being a hitter. So you want to really check on his health. Um, so yeah, that is, that is an interesting thing that you just brought up. Uh, but I I wonder what the protocol is in general on for all teams. Um, considering that, excuse me. Yeah, no, this is, uh, yeah, I I think you're right that it does take, you know, a hundred million dollars plus, off of a potential contract um, you know I think he'll still go for a long-term deal I don't think there's I don't think he's gonna try to you know no he's he's not gonna go out try to get a one-year deal and and no uh, no and, and you know try to prove his worth and whatnot but
1: if anything that might even
0: look like a two-year deal if he's if
1: he's not gonna be pitching next year or gonna be very limited next year
0: yeah exactly exactly but um, yeah
1: no you don't do that you take the money now
0: yeah, but uh but luckily <clears throat> luckily he is uh you know, he's still, you know, he's still been the best hitter in baseball this year uh, according to OPS and all that. So, you know, he's he's going to get he's going to get his money, but uh unfortunately for him, not as much and and it's going to be a question for teams like I wonder if I wonder if there's some potential buyers of Otani before that have bowed out of the conversations. I wonder if there's more i wonder if there are more teams in on otani because his value probably dropped and maybe they can afford him a little more so so yeah it'll be interesting to see that i'm i'm looking forward to the reports from guys like rosenthal and passen uh, to see if there was anybody that bowed out and anybody that got back in because yeah this this throws a lot of things off in the in the upcoming free agent market yeah i know it absolutely does um
1: You know, I'm very glad that as of right now, Shohei Otani is still hitting. Um, Who knows how long that continues, because the report said that he was going to continue to hit until he got his, uh, you know, he got further examination from doctors and advice on what to do with ZCL. But, um, you know, I think the one thing we can look forward to with him in terms of this season is like watching him try to hit 50 home runs. Um, You know, he has already qualified for the batting title. He has 561 play appearances and you need 502. Uh, to qualify he's not going to qualify for era unfortunately because he was 30 innings short he was he probably needed about five more starts or so to get there which really sucks but um you know i mean i think we are still going to remember this for as a really good pitching season he threw around the same number of innings as he did uh in 2021 and he had very similar numbers uh he had yeah he threw an inning and two-thirds more this year. He had an ERA that was almost identical. Uh, his strikeouts and walks were a little different, but his strikeout-to-walk ratio was actually a bit better in 2021. Uh, and he's doing even better offensively this year than he was in 2021 when he won his first MVP award. He's He has a higher batting average by quite a lot. He has a higher OBP, a much higher slugging. Uh, and his OPS plus is higher by almost 30 points. It's 27 points to be exact, but uh yeah, I mean it is very unfortunate that we are going to see this season cut short. Uh, but it's still gonna go down as I think his best season overall and just one of the greatest seasons that we've ever seen on a baseball field, regardless.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like there is <clears throat> there's no way he's not winning the AL MVP if, if he yeah, out no. for the season. If he was out for the season, he's still one MVP. You know, he's I he think, has... yeah.
1: Maybe maybe he only gets twenty-eight first place votes.
0: Right, yeah. He's he already has over a thousand batter pitcher interactions, which are more than any other uh any other player is going to get this year. Uh for sure. You know, the the league leader in plate appearances is gonna have around you know, seven hundred. Uh Shohei Ohtani's already at over a thousand batter pitcher interactions and he's been uh, elite on the hitting side and really, really good on the pitching side as well. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that race is still over. Uh, there's not really, unless, unless Corey Seager goes out and hits 40 more home runs in, in 35 games, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's not, you know, it's not going to happen. It's, it's show has Shohei's to win. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, anything more on the, on the news? No, I think that was kind of it.
1: Yeah, it's very unfortunate, obviously, but, uh,
0: yeah. Speaking of unfortunate, the White Sox. Uh, well, maybe this is fortunate news, but the way they have uh bounced back from it is probably a little, little more unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, the White Sox, this past week, announced the firing of General Manager Rick Hahn and Team President Kenny Williams. Uh. And, uh, you know, it it was kind of a long, you know, sort of long time coming or both of their stints were had been for a long time. They had both been around for the 2005 World Series championship, uh, which, you know, big part of their history. But it happened 18 years ago. So they've been around for a while, uh, but they both got fired. Um, What did you think about about this whole ordeal?
1: Yeah, I think my my thoughts are less on them getting fired and more on the replacements, and I'll get to that yeah. in a second. But, I mean, this has been a disastrous year for the White Sox on all fronts, right? You know, last year uh, was the underperformance overall, and at least they were able to blame it on Tony La Russa. Um, you know, it was an easy scapegoat, and also he had medical issues, which, uh, you know, it, it made the whole thing seem very convenient for White Sox fans, for the organization. Um, you know, they kind of got to scrape by with accountability i think uh with with all of that going on but you know don't forget like the white Sox were like a game and a half out of the playoffs in september last year and then they went on an eight game losing streak and the guardians started streaking at that same time so you know that's a team that was very much in it to the end last year and to then everything fell apart late uh and then this year they were eight and 21 in april Uh, They kind of rebounded in May, but it was just never like they've fallen off during the summer. They're 10 games below the Detroit Tigers in the standings. Uh, No disrespect to them. They're doing much better this year than a lot of people have thought. But, you know, that's not where the White Sox picture themselves this year. And everything has gotten infinitely worse over the last month. Right. The trade deadline happens. Kenyon Middleton comes out and says, you know, there was no uh, leadership there. There was no like precedent set uh lance lynn foul its territory and basically confirmed it uh and there was you know other things or, or eloy jimenez had a quote saying that like yeah there's been no accountability no one's been uh stepping up as that guy and it's just an entire complete disaster
0: uh yeah yeah that is that is a that is a correct word to use yeah it's been an absolute disaster um like and it it, it it's taken the pl- it's taken place over the course of about a, of a about a decade. You know, they were kind of they just missed the playoffs in 2012. Uh, I think had a bunch of last place finishes after decided to go into full rebuild, trade a bunch of key pieces, get prospects. And a lot of those trades worked we're out, or like looked yeah. really good at the start and worked out um, and were really good. And they were set up. They were set up for 2020, 2021 and beyond. But and in a weak division by the way didn't have to really compete for much all they had to do was sort of perform you know meet meet expectations not necessarily exceed them but meet expectations but they failed to do that pretty miserably especially this year along with last year and and just not put themselves in a good position at all
1: yeah I mean it's just been it's been bad this doesn't even go into the reported uh altercation between Tim Anderson and Yasmani Grandal from before the all-star break I believe the report was that like Grandal was trying to leave a day early because he was not in the lineup and Anderson like uh, started getting physical with him and it kind of escalated from there but um, yeah I mean one of the things that really stood out to me about the entire accountability thing and the people that were going on media and saying stuff like that was first of all Jose Abreu left this year, right? I mean, I think that's the guy that kind of would have been that, uh, that veteran leader. You know, he's the most, he was by far the longest tenured member of the club. Uh, and I don't even off the top of my head who, like, would Tim Anderson be the most tenured guy now? The longest tenured guy? He would probably be that, right?
0: Yeah, he's been there since like, uh, what, 2016? Something like that. And, you know, you
1: could, you know, maybe that says something about him, but, Lance Lynn coming on and saying that, yeah, there was no accountability. That kind of concerns me because Lance Lynn should have been one of the guys that set a precedent in that clubhouse, right? Like there simply aren't a lot of guys that have been there a while. And, you know, he's only been there for three years, but he's been in the major leagues for 12, 13 years now. You know, I know that it's not entirely on him to be the guy to set those set that precedent and be accountable. That's on Pedro Gafal more than anyone else, but you know, like Lance Lynn is slightly responsible in my opinion for the clubhouse culture being what it is. And he was one of the guys saying like, yeah, it was bad over there, which I don't know. I feel like that's almost a, a self-report on him more than it is anything else.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's been a respected veteran for a while and he's been in the league for over a decade. Um, So yeah, you would expect, you would expect him to yeah, try and take that leader position, but Yeah, I think also you bring up a good point in the fact that Jose Abreu leaving like that kind of hurt them because he was there for all the ugliness of the White Sox, you know, before the, you know, even before Mm -hmm. the rebuild happened. Like he's been there for it all and has, you know, and was there for them getting back to the playoffs in both 2020 and 2021 and was a big part of that. So, yeah, I think that's that's a factor. Yeah, I mean. Definitely. That yeah, not a lot of good reports out there, and especially when you consider uh what they're trying to do to move forward is they're making the great uh claim or making the great uh proposition to hire from within, which yep. seems like the exact wrong answer. It seems like uh, Chris Getz, uh, who was their assistant GM, is the and more importantly the director of player development uh is looking to be their you know front runner for G- general manager uh what are your thoughts on this
1: i it, this is my favorite my absolute favorite genre of front office mistakes is when a team that so clearly needs an overhaul entirely hires from within. i think the most recent example of this, and we covered this on the show when it happened was uh the Colorado Rockies after the twenty twenty one or was it twenty yeah the twenty twenty one season uh you know they they Fire Jeff Breidich, uh, who desperately needed to go. The franchise was in a really bad spot after the Arnado trade. Um, and what do they do? They bring Bill Schmidt in to be their GM. And the team, you know, they were they're going to lose a hundred games this year, very likely. Uh, they are. They don't have that great of a farm system. I think they're like middle of the pack at best. I. Don't remember the rankings off the top of my head, but it's not encouraging. Uh the franchise needs an you know, that franchise needed an entire overhaul overhaul. They didn't do it and they've made no progress in two years. The White Sox, this is a similar situation. I know that there's talent in that clubhouse. I know that there's things that fans can be excited about with Luis Robert, with you know, Eloy Jimenez, if he can stay healthy, if you know Andrew Vaughn can start hitting the ball, you know, like they have guys, but what they need is and entirely they need to wipe they need a clean slate right you know it does start in my opinion with Jerry Reinsdorf but that's you know he's not going to sell the team obviously he's going to own that team until the day he dies unfortunately but um you know they need a new GM they need a new everything in the front office they probably need a new manager respectfully I no disrespect to Pedro but like after a year like this like you just need to wipe a clean slate and start again um and I liked Raqqan as GM. I thought he did a good job, especially in the rebuild, right? I mean, he turned Chris Sale, Adam Eaton, and Jose Quintana into pretty much their entire core now, minus Luis Robert, right? I mean, they you know they got Giolito out of that. They got Reynaldo Lopez out of that. They got Yohan Moncada, Michael Kopech. They got uh, Eloy Jimenez, Dylan Cease. Like, that's... <laughs> all of the guys that uh, are you know, the names on the White Sox minus Luis Robert, like those came from trades made by recon It didn't come from drafting, unfortunately, which is definitely somewhere where the White Sox have fallen short. It definitely didn't come from player development. Like I said, minus Luis Robert, because uh, you know, the White Sox, they've had a pretty bad farm system for a while. And even the good guys come from trades. They don't come from drafting and developing. Um, so that's, that's bad. That's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, you need to wipe it clean. Yeah, I think I think the good example to use for this one would be, uh, Chris, I'll let you explain this one. But the 2011 Red Sox.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 2011 Red Sox. They, yeah, they had a big collapse. Uh, went seven and 20 in September blew I think, a nine game lead in the wild card. Uh, yeah, they lost it and they fired uh, Terry Francona. Did they fire Theo Epstein or did they like mutually part ways or, uh, you know, whatever the language Theo they Epstein use? Theo Epstein left. Um, and but they've got uh well, they got Bobby Valentine, which wasn't the greatest. But yeah, they also I know got that ben, it, they got Ben Sherrington, which I think was from within.
1: Did I I, they? Yeah, had, I mean,
0: but they it is what it is, ch- but they ch- they changed. Yeah.
1: My point being, like, it doesn't matter what you have when you are in this situation, you need an overhaul because I think, you know, in 2012, every franchise would have taken Terry Francona and every franchise would have taken Theo Epstein and the Red Sox were lucky to have both. But after a season like that with clubhouse issues that were reported with a big collapse on the field, they were in a situation where they felt like they needed an overhaul and they got a world series two years later and they were uh, a very competitive team with a dominant core five years later.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, with the White Sox, yeah, the 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 thing that really struck me when I was reading about the whole situation was, you know, Chris Getz, obviously he's the front runner to be GM. It hasn't been announced or anything, but that's the, Those are all the reports. That's the direction mm-hmm. it seems to be going in. And one of his roles is director of player development. Yeah, and that's player development has been one of the main weaknesses of the Chicago White Sox. You look at the the top 10 draft picks that they've had and they haven't been able to turn into much, uh, 2016, it was Zach Collins at number 10 overall 2018. It was Nick Madrigal 2019 Andrew Vaughn. And they just haven't, they haven't, those were all top 10 draft picks, not just first rounders, top 10 guys that they haven't been able to figure out. Uh, and Carson I think that, Fulmer in 2016 too, or 2015. Yes. Carson Fulmer in 2015, he was number eight overall. Like, they they obviously had talent talent enough to be top ten guys. It's not it's not like when there's that many guys that aren't working out. Part of much of the problem is the organization. It's not necessarily all on the individual players. You can't just get unlucky that many times. I think that has to do with player development. So hiring the direct you know, hiring the d- director of player development as your next GM seems like the worst thing in the world to do when so many of your problems have been player development
1: yeah i mean like i mentioned you look back at every like if you go back over the last like five years and look at like the white Sox top prospects it's guys that aren't top 100 guys that didn't turn out to be anything or guys that just weren't even developed in the organization like it's it's a lot of that um yeah which you know it says a lot about especially when you went through a rebuild right like you know, I mean they had a great farm system in 2018 or so, but like I mentioned earlier, that was all through trades.
0: Right, right, exactly, exactly. Um I mean let me look back on this real quick. Yeah, so like here's what here's what some smart teams have done. Uh and and this I mean part of this has to do with uh with Jerry Rons Reinsdorf being extremely loyal, which is a good quality, but extremely loyal to a fault. He, you know, he wants he hires from within, but it it's it's for the fans to suffer like he's good to people and he's loyal to people. But unfortunately, that does not put the organization in the right direction. What smart teams have done is hired from outside and had a big overhaul. The most notable example with that is the Baltimore Orioles. after I think it was after 2019 or right before 2019, they hire Mike Elias, who was working with the Astros, who had just, you know, garbage cans or not, they won the World Series, and they were amazing at player development. And we've seen that beyond the whole scandal with how great their system has turned out players consistently year after year. Um, so they hired Mike Elias from the Astros, the Giants, uh, I think in in 2018, before they went, and you know had an unexpected run in 2021, and and even now, the they hired Farhan Zaidi. Farhan Zaidi, he was with the Dodgers, who were consistently year after year churning out players doing great at player development. And uh, if you want to use a smaller example, it hasn't quite turned out um, to a finished product quite yet. But you know the Red Sox, after firing uh, Dave Dombrowski, they went and got Heim Bloom from the Rays. Uh, who has you know improved their farm system greatly and done and done decent with the payroll that John Henry has allowed him. You know it's not as good of an example as Farhan Zaidi going from Dodgers to Giants and Mike Elias going from Astros to Orioles, but nonetheless those are that those are examples of how that can work. But the White Sox unfortunately are hiring from within, and I I just don't think that's a recipe for success. They need to get someone from a good organization like the Dodgers, the Rays, even like. I don't know, maybe even like Guardians or something like that. Someone who's done well with a low budget or, you know, I don't know what they want to do, but they they got to hire someone from a smart team.
1: So looking just real quick, I'm going through the MLB pipeline White Sox top 100 draft picks. Or sorry, uh, they're the White Sox uh, top 30 draft pick or prospects from uh, 2018. Number one, Eloy Jimenez acquired through trade. Number two, Michael Kopech acquired through trade. Number three, Luis Robert, legit, international signing, drafted and developed through the the organization, very talented. Number four, Alec Hansen, didn't work out, unfortunately. Number five, Dylan Cease, acquired through trade. Number six, Dane Dunning, acquired through trade. Number seven, Blake Rutherford, acquired through trade. Number eight, Jake Berger, first-round draft pick. Number nine, Zach Collins, first-round draft pick. And number 10, Carson Fulmer, first-round draft pick. And they're all close to the beginning of the first round, all, all three of the guys I just mentioned were uh, top 11 overall. So those are guys that had a lot of talent coming into the organization. And I think were just naturally put there by MLB pipeline. So yeah, I mean, that kind of goes to show you, and that's, that's one year of many I could probably go through every other year, but I'll spare you the repetition because it's going to be a lot of the same guys.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like there was a, there's, there's been consistent problems with, who they've selected or drafted and, and, you know, making them successful. Luis Robert is like the outlier and maybe mm-hmm. Eloy Jimenez can be thrown into that too, but that's no, no, really it. Uh, a... He was acquired through trade. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot. Yeah. He, he was with the, yeah. he was with the Cubs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Luis Robert is the outlier there. Yeah. Um Like <laughs> that's like the only guy that's been able to be, you know, selected, you know, signed slash drafted and developed by the White Sox themselves and succeeding. And he's, you know, on pace to have like a six win season right now. Yeah. But, and even uh, then,
1: like, this is his first, like, fully healthy, solid year that we've seen from him.
0: Yeah, that is like, true. This is,
1: the, this is the first year that he's played 100 games.
0: Yeah, that is true. That is true. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, That's been the White Sox. I mean, it's uh, it's really unfortunate. I I feel really bad for the fan base, especially with all these suffering that they went through in the mid 2010s to get not really much of a reward. Uh, after not really get, you know, not even get to an LCS, never mind win one and and get to a World Series and win one. You know, they they got to the LDS and that was it. Unfortunately, um, so I real feel really bad, and I feel bad that they. Have no sense of like closure or new beginnings because this is this is the same. It seems like this is going to be the same year after year, unless Chris Gets has some different philosophy that we don't know about. But there's no reason to believe that, as he was, you know, director of player development, and look how that's worked out. Unfortunately, yeah. Um. Anything. And then more also, on-
1: also, uh, the other guy that they're planning on bringing in with Chris Gets reportedly is dayden moore
0: oh yeah right yeah that's even that somehow makes it even worse it makes it even makes it even worse and, and so the royals it, they've yeah. they've won a world series in the last decade but uh other than that it's been pretty wretched
1: okay let's take out the world series for a second and look at everything Dayton moore has done since then uh the royals well, let's say they started the rebuild in 2018, right? That was the year after Hosmer left. That was the year after, uh, Kane left. That was the year where a lot of their World Series core left. Uh, yeah. Mike Mustakis was traded in season. Like, let's just say 2018 was the start of their rebuild, right? Yep. Yeah. It's still going. <laughs> it's still going. Uh, the Royals won 58 games in 2018. They won. Uh, 59 games in 2019, they went 26 and 34 in 2020, they went 74 and 88 in 2021, and they've taken steps back since then, 65 and 97 this in 2022, and then as we're recording this, 49, 41 and 89 right now, uh, so the Royals record-wise have gone nowhere with their rebuild, and oh by the way, they have the 29th ranked farm system in the majors right now.
0: I was just about I was just about to fill that in. Yeah. Like yeah. so they don't even have any direction that they, they don't even have anybody coming up.
1: No. And it's not like, you know, I mean, like, we have seen the development of Bobby Wood Jr. over the last month, which is excellent. We've been waiting for that for two years. That's
0: kind of it. Yeah. And also that like not it's, to not, take... an, it's
1: not entirely it. I know that like MJ Melendez has looked a little bit better. Uh, you know, like they're they're waiting on uh Vinny pasquantino to come back nick prado has been injured this year but even still like that's not enough to contend
0: and yeah what i was what i was about to say was even with like not to discredit the organization entirely but that's sort of supposed to happen with a number two draft pick out of high school mm-hmm. like
1: yeah <laughs> but, yeah right
0: <laughs> like he's supposed to be a great player if, if it
1: would if, it would have taken a lot to mess that up
0: right exactly exactly yeah. So. No. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, anything more on the White Sox? No, nothing more on the White Sox. All right. Well, we'll get into our final bit of news, um, which we kind of prefaced this earlier in the year uh, when there was an announcement of a setback with his progress to potentially come back. But uh, Steven Strasburg has retired from baseball officially as he has not been on a mound in over a year, unfortunately. Has it been since 2021 or did he pitch? He last did pitch
1: year? very briefly last year. Uh
0: he pitched one game. Yeah. So he hasn't and he hasn't pitched consistently since 2019, uh, mm-hmm. when he won the World Series, you know, pretty much yeah, pretty much won the World Series for the Nationals. He was the World Series MVP. Um a big part of that. And uh has officially retired um just really unfortunate how it's been the past few years for him
1: yeah no this is just it's it's the worst kind of news um you know I think this makes a lot of baseball fans our age feel old because you know we kind of grew up with Steven Strasberg in his prime uh you know with the the playoff shutdown in 2012 and you know that was kind of a sign of we're doing it now because he's going to do so many great things going forward and at this point, as we speak on August 26th, 2023, we have seen everything that he was going to do going forward. And I think we can say that it lived up to the hype.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. Like considering what he did in, what he did in his career, what he did in the regular season, especially the postseason. I mean, you can't talk about Steven Strasberg's legacy without mentioning the postseason. season uh, But also, yeah, in the regular season, he was amazing A career. 127 ERA plus in over 1400 innings pitched. Uh, yeah, like he he did. Yeah, he definitely lived up to it. Otherwise, the Nationals wouldn't have given him a 245 million dollar contract.
1: Yeah, um, and we've talked about that offseason for the Nationals quite a bit. You know, it felt like they had to have re-signed one of Strasburg or Rendon, and it turns out the correct answer would have been neither. Um, right by the time it just felt like the right thing to do after coming off a of world series but yeah i mean steven strasburg um it is he's unfortunately i think one of the the great what ifs in in baseball history now because you know he did you know from 2010 his debut up until 2019 he was entering his 30s um and he was a guy that had a career uh, a career wins above replacement around 30 around 31, actually, on baseball reference. Um, he was a guy that had, uh, you know, about, you know, over 1,400 innings pitched uh, in his career, had basically the his career stats. I mean, well, like he had 322 ERA, a FIP of around three. Um, he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, right, right. And he already had uh, over 1,700 strikeouts uh, to his resume through age 30 so he would have needed um less than 1300 to get to 3000 eventually which he seemed like yeah that seemed like the case especially with guys like scherzer verlander uh even like kershaw performing amazing into their mid and and late 30s it seemed like a major possibility seemed that's why that's why no one really criticized the nationals for paying him 245 million dollars when it happened like There was no signs pointing to this being a bad deal. Uh, Maybe maybe it was the price was inflated a little bit because of postseason performance, Mm -hmm. but it seemed like he was going to be a staple of that rotation, just like he had been a staple of that rotation uh, about every year since 2012. And
1: don't forget, in 2019, the year before he signed that contract, yes, he won the World Series. Yes, he was the World Series MVP, but he also threw 209 innings that led the National League. Like... You know, injuries might have been on the nationals' mind. He only pitched 130 innings in 2018, uh, and 175 the year before. And like he had, had a couple tough things here and there, but he had thrown at least 125 innings every year from 2012 up until
0: 2019.
1: If there were injury problems or injury worries, I don't think they were this bad.
0: Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. It seemed like it developed in 2020 uh and beyond. And yeah, it' I forget the, the exact term. I forget. It's TOS. It's, uh, it, I know the last word of it is sin is a syndrome, but it was something where it was more than like an elbow issue or, uh, you know, a hamstring or a oblique issue. It was like something that was affecting a large portion of the body felt it like in his, like in his shoulder, his back his like everything. He could barely move. He he had trouble functioning, like even just opening the door or picking up his kids. And it was a really, really big issue, which is why he has only been able to throw like 30 innings since the contract was signed, unfortunately. But like this was a major thing that I guess didn't show any symptoms uh, before 2020.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of the saddest, I think situations that we've seen in baseball, maybe in our lifetime, you know, like it's yeah. I mean, it's just a huge, what if, I mean, I luckily like he did still have a legitimate prime for seven years. He's not going to be a hall of famer, unfortunately, but he was on that pace for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And part of, part of what uh, made him a, a on track to be a hall of famer was his amazing postseason resume 55 and a third innings pitched in the postseason with a one four six ERA. Um, and that didn't even ha- that wasn't all the you know the 2019 run where they won the world series, he was great before that. Uh, 2017 NLDS, where unfortunately for the nationals they lost to the Cubs. Uh, Steven strasburg had two starts with seven plus innings pitched, no earned runs allowed. Uh, 10 plus strikeouts and two or fewer walks. And only he and Justin Verlander have done that in a single postseason series. Uh, this goes back to when the World Series started and only he and Justin Verlander have done that in a uh, in a single series. And also Steven Strasburg in his career had four career postseason starts with 10 plus strikeouts, two or fewer walks and one or fewer earned run allowed. And only four other pitchers have four plus career postseason starts like that. They are Justin Verlander, Cliff Lee, Bob Gibson, and Max Scherzer. Um, So just amazing company. And he is a postseason legend. It was cemented in 2019 when he won World Series MVP.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of what makes his career so special is how he burst onto the scene in 2010, right? I mean, I think we all, all... even if you didn't watch it live, we've all seen like the highlights of his major league debut, that game against the Pirates, uh, where he went seven innings pitched, allowed four hits, uh walked no one, just gave up two runs and struck out fourteen. <laughs> struck out fourteen batters.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's a memory that every baseball fan has, like I mentioned, whether you watched it live or not. Uh, You know, everyone, it started, you know, the shutdown, the playoff shutdown in 2012 started a, a pretty heated debate that went far beyond the baseball sphere, as I'm sure many people know about it, it found its way into the uh to the US political sphere.
0: Yeah, yes, it did. Before before we knew he was a politician,
1: even I think it even went beyond that there was a I so one of my friends tweeted out a couple articles from 2012 about like, Rudy Giuliani and Mitch McConnell voicing their opinions on it which was kind of wild but you know that happened yeah which (laughs) I didn't even realize that ever
0: happened but uh yeah (laughs) yeah that's nuts um yeah with uh with Steven Strasburg yeah he his uh his major league debut uh has the it's the only, yeah, it's the only uh, MLB debut with eleven plus strikeouts and no walks. um, and he had fourteen strikeouts. So that's pretty amazing what he what he was able to do uh, in that debut. and mm-hmm. and yeah, he was also part of his legacy is the jump start of the of the nationals, you know, rebuild starting to come to fruition and become not a rebuild and become a consistent postseason team in twenty twelve. 2014 2016 2017 and 2019 like he was the he was the start of it he was the number one overall draft pick the year before bryce harper came in came into play and he debuted in 2010 and he was a he was had a consistent role from 2012 and beyond when they started going to postseason so he was like the ray of light uh in the washington nationals franchise because of how miserable they had been pretty much since they moved to washington uh, and even before that, they did not have good times uh, in Montreal either. So he was a ray of light with that organization that they had not seen in at least a decade. So that's, that's a lot of the reason to remember Steven Strasberg and his amazing career.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget watching his 2019 postseason run. Uh, it was kind of one of the jumpstart conversations of ARR Um Right, I mean, yeah. we talked every episode about playoff strass and like you can't ever count that guy out. And uh, the dot the Nationals won all four of the games that he pitched in, including the wild card game. Uh, he pitched. Uh, uh wait, anyway, no, I think they may have lost the uh, no, they did win the Dodgers one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they won every game that he pitched in, which is crazy, including that game six uh, where he, um, he sent it to game seven, by the way, 55 innings pitch in the postseason, 71 strikeouts and eight walks.
0: Yeah. That crazy. That that's crazy. That's nuts.
1: That's insane.
0: That is insane. Um, yeah. an, ama- an amazing strikeout to walk ratio. Yeah. I mean, uh, unbelievable, you know, unbelievable career. It's just unfortunate that it got cut extremely short. Um, you know, did not comp- pitch consistently past his age 30 season. Um, But, you know, hopefully, you know, just hoping for the best for him in life. Hopefully he just has his functionality uh, for life beyond baseball, because that's actually a concern right now. So hopefully he can, you know, he's able to be well, have his arm and body in check and for the, for the rest of his life. So, yeah, I mean, now, uh, yes. Yeah. anything more before we get into players to highlight? No, I think that's kind of it. All right, so now we will get into our Saturday, August 26, 2023 edition of How About That. He's
1: striking out less, walking more, and he's also making better contact. Turning into a strikeout machine just out of nowhere. He's been excellent all around this year. He
0: is getting a...
1: How about that? So my how about that is a guy that I think a lot of baseball fans probably haven't heard of at this point, but he's been arguably the best pitcher in baseball throughout the month of August. I'm talking about Cole Reagans from the Kansas City Royals. He is a recent trade deadline acquisition. Uh, he's made, I think, like six appearances with the Royals, and he's been dominating since the start of August. Cole Reagans leads all qualifying pitchers in FIP and f war. He has a 1.55 FIP and a 1.4 Fan graphs once above replacement, And along with that, he has a 212 ERA. So those are excellent numbers uh, throughout the month of August where he's made five starts. Uh, before the span, he had a strikeout rate of 21.4% and a walk rate of 12.6%. And in this span, his strikeout rate has risen to thirty six point four percent, and his walk rate has dropped to six point six percent, which means his K minus walk rate has gone from eight point eight percent to twenty nine point eight percent, the second highest in baseball throughout that span. Uh, and one of the uh, the Royals actually made a very good addition to his arsenal. They gave him a slider. Cole Reagans had never thrown a slider in the big leagues before he was traded to the Royals from the Rangers. And since the trade, he has thrown it 13% of the time. That is the third most used pitch in his arsenal. And he's had one of the best sliders in baseball uh, over this time. His slider has a 45.1% whiff rate, the 15th highest among the 109 pitchers with at least 50 of sliders thrown since the day Reagans began throwing one. And uh, opponents are have a uh, 154 expected batting average and a 175 expected slugging against the slider. That expected batting average is the 24th lowest among the 191 pitchers with at least 10 batted balls against the slider, and the x-slugging ranks all And throughout the year, he has a 4.5 run value per 100 on his slider, which means that for every 100 sliders he throws... He's preventing about four and a half runs. And that 4.5 RV 100 leads the 296 pitchers to have at least 25 plate appearances and on their slider. So it's not even his most commonly used pitch. But he's added it to his arsenal with the Royals. It's been an extremely effective weapon, uh, and because of that, and his other pitches—his cutter, his fastball, his curveball—he uh, has been arguably the best pitcher in baseball since August. So that is Cole Reagans of the Kansas City Royals. A great find from JJ uh, Piccolo, the uh, the successor to a one Dayton Moore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cole Reagans. How about that? Um. Yeah. He he's been a swing and miss machine, uh, out of nowhere. Uh, Cole Reagans has crazy. Yeah. Crazy to see him leading in F4 and FIP. uh, in the month of August, uh, for my, how about that? I am doing our first Yankee, uh, things have not been going well in the Bronx, but, uh, for one man, he's been, he's been doing, he's been doing well. Uh, and i'm also, you know, splash because we're going reliever diving today. I'm talking about a guy by the name of Ian Hamilton, right-handed reliever for the Yankees. In the second half, he has a 1.27 ERA and 2.52 FIP in 21 and a third innings pitched. And out of 171 total pitchers with 20 plus innings pitched in the span, he is second in ERA and eighth in FIP. And out of 194 pitchers with 300 plus pitches thrown in the second half, uh, he has the lowest expected batting average and lowest expected slugging against while having the third lowest expected Woba against out of 194 pitchers. Uh, Part of this has to do with him allowing far softer contact. His average exit velocity has gone from 87.5 miles per hour before the span to 83.9 miles per hour in the span and removing bunts. Out of 194 pitchers with 300-plus pitches thrown in the span, Ian Hamilton's average exit velocity against is the lowest in baseball in the second half. Also, his ground ball rate has gone from 51% to 64%. And out of 294 pitchers with 40-plus batted balls against in the second half, his ground ball rate is eighth highest. Uh, And perhaps the most daunting thing about what Ian Hamilton has done is his line drive rate has gone from 33% 33% before the span to 9% in this span. And out of 294 pitchers, uh, his line drive rate is the lowest in baseball. Obviously a 9% line driver, a 9% line drive rate on uh, a little over 40 batted balls is uh, pretty unbelievable. Also his sweet spot rate naturally has gone from 41% to 14% in this span. And out of 294 pitchers with 40 plus batted balls against, Ian Hamilton's sweet spot rate against is the lowest in baseball. Uh, and part of the increase in ground ball rate and decrease in, you know, line drive rate and sweet spot rate has to do with a change in pitch mix. Uh, he has gone from using a sinker 18% of the time before the span to 28% of the time in the span. And his forcing fastball usage has gone from 29% to 15%. So he's substituted. Uh forcing fastballs with more sinkers and he's gotten more ground balls. He's gotten softer contact, way less line drives, and way less batted balls in the sweet spot zone, which has resulted in him having a having the second best ERA uh out of pitchers with 20 plus innings pitched in the second half. So Ian Hamilton getting a How about that? And now we will get go from the highest to the lows. We are we are talking players or subjects that have been underperforming for our Saturday, August 26, 2023 edition of How About That.
1: Of How About That?
0: Oh, wait. <laughs> Where we will get into our <laughs> Saturday, August 26, 2023 edition of Slightly Alarming Statistics. He's been barreling up the ball way less.
1: He's not missing bats. He's not getting the ball on the ground. And people are hitting it in the air more.
0: It's been so bad. He is getting a slightly alarming...
1: Yeah. So my slightly alarming uh, is definitely a guy that anytime he's struggling, he's he's a candidate for slightly alarming because of how high profile he is. I'm talking about Juan Soto uh, of the San Diego Padres, one of the best players in baseball. But since August 6th, uh, not so much. He is slashing 132, 213, 176 for a 390 OPS and a 14 weighted runs created plus that weighted runs created plus ranks the fourth lowest among the 177 qualifiers and his negative 0.8 f4 in that span is the worst juan soto has been the worst qualified player in the majors by fangraph's wins of a replacement since august 6th uh that is extremely alarming if you will but i mean i'm sure it is just a slump but in the span he has a ground ball rate of 63.6%. That is the second highest among the 68 hitters with 50 batted balls. Uh, anytime you see Juan Soto struggling, the immediate thought is ground balls because, you know, that's what that he is a very, he is a habit of doing that uh, at his lowest points. And that's absolutely what he's doing now. Uh, on that same list of 68 hitters, his 16.4% fly ball rate in this span is the sixth lowest. And of the nine fly balls that he has hit in this span, only two of them have been pulled, which I know that Juan Soto is a guy with a lot of opposite field power. He's never even really been a guy that hits a lot of pulled home runs. But generally speaking, if you're hitting less pulled fly balls, you're going to see a lot less luck no matter who you are. Uh, and Juan Soto especially is going to see a lot less luck on his uh, on his fly balls to the opposite way when his average exit velocity on fly balls specifically, has dropped from 98 miles per hour to 95.7 miles per hour. Um, So that's been a problem. 55.6% of his fly fly balls have been 39 degrees or higher in that span, which is also an issue because at 39 degrees, home runs turn into warning track fly balls, no matter how much exit velocity you have. Uh, And before this span, uh, it was 43.1% of his uh, fly balls that were that high end launch angle. So he's hitting his fly balls a little too high. Uh, and during the span, Juan Soto only, I say only in quotes, only has a 9.9% walk rate, which we know when Juan Soto was cooking, his walk rate is around 25%. Uh, it was 20.2% below the span, but it is, he has sliced it in half to, for, to where it's 9.9% now. Uh, and one of the reasons why this is and why he's struggling in general is that he's actually swinging more which Juan Soto is known for not swinging. He's incredibly good at not swinging. He's arguably the best in the league at not swinging. Uh, And I say that because before this span, Juan Soto had only swung at 34.6% of all pitches thrown to him. That was the lowest rate among the 428 hitters who saw at least 300 pitches. By the way, Juan Soto saw saw 2,000. So (laughs) that is not cherry-picked. And in this span, he has swung at 39.7% of his pitches which you might be thinking, well, 39.7%, that's still very low. It's still going to be one of the lower rates in the league, which is correct. But his chase rate has gone from 15.4% to 19.9%. So he's swinging a lot more out of the zone. And because of that, that is one of the many reasons why he's struggling. So Juan Soto uh, has not been himself in the month of August, and it's for these reasons.
0: Yeah, Juan Soto. Slightly alarming. Um. Yeah, unfortunate for him and the Padres. Uh, my slightly alarming um, is another All Star outfielder, but his you know kind of burst onto the scene uh, this year and is you know struggling on a team that is struggling now for the Texas Rangers, who are on an eight game losing streak. But I'm talking about Adolis Garcia, who was at the All Star game, also a home run derby participant. Uh, in his last 14 games, he is hitting. 127 with a 449 OPS, and 39% strikeout rate. Out of 175 qualifiers in the span, Garcia's average is second lowest, on-base percentage is eighth lowest, slugging is eighth lowest, OPS is sixth lowest, and strikeout rate is second highest. And out of 64 pitches, out of 64 hitters, with 250-plus pitches seen in the span, his expected batting average is the lowest, expected slugging is sixth lowest, and expected wOBA is third lowest. Uh as I mentioned 39% strikeout rate his strikeout rate has gone from 25% before the span to as I mentioned 39% in the span and that's because he is swinging and missing at a lot more pitches. His whiff rate has gone from 30% to 41% and out of 138 hitters with 100 plus swings in the span Garcia's whiff rate is the fourth highest in baseball. And uh A lot of it, you know, a lot of hitters, they struggle more with breaking pitches to, you know, just the league in general swings and misses at more breaking pitches. But for Garcia, it's been the four seam fastballs. He has a 49% whiff rate on four seam fastballs. And out of 208 hitters to swing at 25 plus four seamers in the span, Garcia has the highest whiff rate on four seamers. And when four seamers are in the upper third of the strike zone and above, uh, he has a 68% whiff rate. So... If you, if you're throwing a four seamer, uh, to Adolis Garcia and he's swinging at it at the upper third and above two out of three times, that's going to be a swing and miss. And he has the most swings and misses in that area of the zone on four seamers in this span. So, Adolis Garcia, he at one point I think was top, you know, top like 10 in position player f4, but uh, the past two to three weeks he is uh he's fallen off a little bit striking out a lot more swinging and missing a lot more and he's getting a slightly alarming all right so that'll do it for players to highlight and uh yeah now into a little preview of the weekend ahead uh we we are you know recording here on a saturday so all the series have gotten going but we have uh you know i'll mention some of the series that you should uh, keep your eye on for the next couple days. And Daniel will go over the day-by-day pitching matchups. A series I'm definitely keeping my eye on is Giants-Braves. Giants are fighting for a playoff spot. They've been cold a little bit, and they're facing off against the Braves. Uh, Spencer Strider dominated last night um, to en route to a a victory in a very good pitcher's duel, which was uh, Spencer Strider versus Logan Webb. But that was last night. Uh, another good series to watch is Red Sox Dodgers for you know the obvious reasons of Mookie Betts's return, but also the Red Sox, but also Ryan are, Brazier's uh, return. Also, yeah, Ryan Brazier's return. It's uh, the Ricky Henderson series. It's it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great matchup. Uh, yeah, Ryan Brazier's return and uh, Kenley and Justin Turner are facing their old teams. A lot of- Verdugo's facing his old team. Yeah, Connor Wong facing his former organization. Just <laughs> so much, so many connections Peter De- oh, wait. and and uh and not to mention the twenty eighteen World Series rematch uh also yeah. and nineteen sixteen uh who could forget so so yeah, but also the Red Sox are only three and a half games out of the wild card spot, so they're fighting for their playoff lives while the dodgers are uh maintaining that that uh that top spot in the NL West and maybe even fighting for a one seed potentially. They're four games back on that. Uh, along with that, we have the uh, Rangers and Twins. Rangers need to get back on track. Twins trying to keep a hold of that AL Central. And uh, another premier series to watch for the playoff races are the D backs and Reds. Shout out to the D backs. They've really recovered nicely and are in a playoff spot once again. And the Reds are also fighting for their playoff lives. Um, trying to stay in that race and even the NL Central race because that's not over. Um, what do you have for the day-by-day pitching matchups? So
1: today on Saturday, a couple of lefties going in. At Guardians Blue Jays in Toronto. It's Logan Allen versus Hyunjin Ryu. Max Freed and Ryan Walker will face each other in Braves Giants. Ryan Walker is a great baseball savant page if you haven't seen it. Uh, more lefties. Julio Arias and James Paxton are going in Dodgers Red Sox. Logan Gilbert will be going for the Mariners against the Royals. Uh, Yuri Perez will be going for the Marlins against the Nationals in Miami. Uh, Clark Schmidt and Tyler Glass will face each other in the Yankees Rays. Clark Schmidt has been pretty good for the Yankees this year. Hunter Brown and Eduardo Rodriguez will face each other in Astros Tigers. Tigers had a big win last night on a walk off. Kyle Bradish will be facing the Rockies for the Orioles uh, in Camden today. Um, you will have Freddie Peralta, who's had a really good month of August, pitching for the Brewers against the Padres. That is at American Family Field. Um, Zach Wheeler will be facing the Cardinals for the Phillies in Citizens Bank Park. And matchup of the night comes from Rangers Twins. It is Max Serger versus Joe Ryan. Yeah,
0: lots of tough, strikeouts there.
1: Tough day to be a ground ball in Minnesota.
0: Yes, yes, indeed.
1: Um, and then on Sunday. You will have Griffin Canning and David Peterson and Angels Mets. That's going to be the Peacock game. Tanner Houck will be going for the Red Sox against the Dodgers. Dodgers, have yet to name their starter, Aaron Nola will be going for the Phillies against the Cardinals. Noah Syndergaard and Yusei Kikuchi will face each other in Guardians and Blue Jays. Justin Verlander will be going in Detroit against his old team for the Astros. That'll be a fun one. Um, Carlos Rodon and Zach Littell will face each other in Yankees and Rays. Paul Blackburn and Mike Clevenger will face each other in A's White Sox in Chicago. Uh, Michael Wacha and Adrian Hauser will pitch against each other in Padres Brewers, get ready to get housed. Uh, Graham Ashcraft will face the Diamondbacks for the Reds in Arizona. Luis Castillo will face the Royals for the Mariners at T-Mobile Park. And matchup of the day, I'm going to go back to, White's, to Rangers and Twins because there honestly aren't a ton of great ones. But it's Jordan Montgomery versus Bailey Ober
0: yeah yeah tough day tough day to be a walk yeah uh in that one mm-hmm. so uh yeah and that does it f- for this installment of, of, of above replacement radio we hope you enjoyed this one if you are listening on apple podcast or spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens go to our youtube channel subscribe to the youtube channel and check out all our playlists and shorts uh check out the guest interviews our last one with chris cotillo of mass live red sox beat reporter and also check out the baseball history series uh, where we talk 30 players and 30 teams in baseball history uh, we did that back in 2020 but it still remains relevant today uh, we hope you enjoyed this one if you want to follow us on social media follow me on twitter at chris underscore to follow daniel on both twitter and instagram at daniel underscore current and follow the show on instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs And, uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed this one. And we hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball once again. See you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.